And thank you so much, Robin. All right. Well, tonight we're going to start something new. Believe it or not, after a year plus of being in the book of Revelation, we are going to start the book of 1 Peter tonight. So 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, I like to teach and preach um, in an expositional way, meaning going verse by verse, here a line, there a line, precept by precept, step by step. That way, you can't say, preacher, you're picking on me tonight. You, you, you got in the middle of 1 Peter because you wanted to preach on that subject. Now, sometimes I do preach topical, and there's nothing wrong with that, but typically I like to preach as I've been preaching through the book of Mark on Sunday morning for over a year now. Got through Revelation. We've been through James. We've been for 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and um, Revelation, and now 1 Peter. On Sunday nights, I'm kind of going through the Old Testament, looking at uh, some, some heroes of the faith, like we looked at uh, Noah last week, this coming Sunday night, by the grace of God. If we're, if we're still here, the rapture hasn't taken place, then we will be looking at the life of Abraham. But tonight, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we will start with verse 1, of course. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the stranger scattered through Pontius, Galatia, Kappa. Doshia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Gracious Father, we thank you that we have the grace of God bestowed into each one of us. It's freely available. And Lord, if you saved the old fisherman like Peter, you could save each one of us. We thank you for the grace of God again. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you... Uh, Father, sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that he was buried, rose again the third day, Lord, so that we could have everlasting life. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would help us as we grow in our relationship to you. Lord, Father, help us to see truths from thy wondrous word that would help us in our spiritual life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we're in this wonderful book of First Peter. And, of course, you know a little bit about the life of Peter. Peter was an apostle. Peter was a disciple. He was in the inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John. Peter was a fisherman. As we've been looking at the life of Jesus Christ, we've talked a lot about, fisher, about Peter, the fisherman, the head probably of the disciples, the, the head of the apostles, the one who, after uh, Jesus Christ, went back up into heaven. Like Jesus had predicted and like Jesus had desired, Peter became that foundation. He became, he became that spokesman. Uh, for the apostles, for the, for the, really for the church, for the early church, as we look at the book of Acts. There's a wonderful thing that this man, of course, as we know his life, he flipped, he flopped, he failed, he fizzled. <laughs> so, folks, if, if, if Peter, under the inspiration of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit, can write some words to us to encourage us, to help us, then anything is possible for us. Anything is possible for us. Because this is the one, of course, who denied Jesus Christ three times. This is the one that Jesus called Satan. <laughs> and you don't get much worse than being called Satan. But even Peter, though he was often an impetuous, hot-hearted, he would, he, would, he would say something before he actually thought about it. Any of you struggle with that? We can have confession afterwards. <laughs> Sometimes you, you speak. You speak something, you say something before you, 
before you said it, you're trying to catch those words, but you can't ever catch them, you know. And so that's the type of person Peter was. A little bit of information about Peter. Uh, as far as we know, it was, this book was written from Rome about A.D. 64. Of course, it was the capital city of the great empire of Rome. If you were here Sunday morning, and that's why it's important to be here for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Brother Pete showed uh, a map of the extension of Rome. I mean, it was a huge empire. It wasn't just the city. It went all the way up into what we call Europe now, Britain, uh, uh, England, that whole area, all around, as he mentioned, all Rome's lead to Rome. So this, he, him speaking from Rome uh, and presenting this to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit around 64 AD. Of course, this was right before a terrible persecution. One of the, one of the worst uh, emperors, according to uh, Ed, when it, when it dealt with persecution, was a man by the name of Nero. The persecution of Christians took place from 65 to 67 A.D., and uh, he uh, authorized the killing of Christians. Rome burnt, and there's a lot of speculation why much of Rome burnt. Many people believe it was him who actually did it, and he blamed it on Christians. But because he blamed it on Christians, many Christians were persecuted, killed. Uh, and it, I could go into the ways in which they killed, but I will not. But it was I can tell you for sure it was horrific. Many people died under those ter terrible persecutions because Nero blamed Christians. They were the scapegoat. But in the final days of Apostle Peter, many people believe that P Peter was cast into a horrible prison. It was called the Maritime Prison for about nine months. It was basically a hole in the ground of absolute darkness. Can you imagine that? Imagine being a place of a, in a hole in the ground where you could not see the ha your hand in front of your face. Imagine that. Imagine that type of cell. Now they get three square meals, TV, library, chaplain services, educational services, workmen, work, work camps, gym. I mean, I mean, all type of things. A little bit different back in those days. A little bit different. I don't think he could, uh, I don't think he could probably much guess. Uh, I mean, he would probably get three meals and all the necessities that they have today. But in that terrible prison, by the grace of God, it is, it is tradition that he led up to 47 people to Christ. Can you imagine that? In terrible, in terrible conditions. Um, it is said that because of his uh, love for Christ, he refused to be uh, crucified the way Jesus was. He actually was crucified upside down in 68 AD. One commentator wrote that he saw that before his death, he was able to see his wife one last time. And his last words to his wife was, remember the Lord before he died. So we see, first of all, this, this evening, scattered strangers. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the strangers scattered. The strangers scattered. The first, the first here, we first here, we identified uh, Peter as an apostle. Apostolos. It's used 80 times, this Greek word is used 80 times in the Bible. It's a person sent by the authority with a commission such as an ambassador. What are the qualifications for, the, for an apostle? First of all, he'd be chosen by God, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Secondly, he was personally commissioned by Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 9, verse 6. He had seen the risen Savior, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2. And fourth, he was a recipient of divine revelation, Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Dear friends, there are no apostles today. The last apostle died 
with John. If you say, if somebody says, I'm the apostle, pastor, so-and-so, no, he's not. He just doesn't know it. <laughs> he just doesn't know he's apostle. He thinks he's apostle, but there are no apostles today. The last one died on the Isle of Patmos, and that being John. So there are no apostles today. The word stranger here means a stranger, a foreigner, an alien, an alien foreign, from a foreign country who temporarily resides with people of, of their country. You can be called, it's the same word that can be translated pilgrim. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't be at home in this world anymore. I'm just a pilgrim passing through, and as this world gets darker and darker and darker, you should, you should feel stranger, stranger, and stranger. You should feel like an alien. You should feel awkward. All that's going on today in society and politics may ought to make you feel weird, awkward, a foreigner. Why are Christians foreigners on this earth? Why are Christians foreigners on this earth? First of all, foreigners, foreigners must deal with a different language than their own home many times. You ever gone to a foreign land and tried to speak of their language? A <laughs> little bit difficult. I've been to Brazil, been to Bolivia, been to Mexico. I've been even to Canada, and they have a different language up there too. Even been to New York City. It's a different language up there too. <laughs> they don't. Uh, they don't. They don't speak quite uh, southern. They don't understand ain't and uh, grits and uh, you know stuff stuff that we say down here. It's a different. It's a different language down here. Uh, but it's a different language. We have a different language. We have a heavenly language. You, should, you, should, you shouldn't curse, shouldn't chew, and shouldn't run with those who do, as they used to say. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, for he, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain him from his tongue from evil, and his lips they speak no guile. James chapter 1 verse 26, if any among, any among you, Seen to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. His man religion is in vain. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace. See with salt, that you may not may ought how to answer every man. We ought to have a, our speech should not betray us. Our, our speech should not be salty. It should be sweet. It should be encouraging. If it's salty, it should be to, to the encouraging and the, the helping of one another. How was your speech today? Did you say anything that you'd be embarrassed, embarrassed if it was put on the screen in the next five seconds? Would you, would, you, would you say, oh, man, I wish I didn't have said that. It came out wrong. And if you said it, did you get right about it? Did you apologize? Did you go to that person and say, oh, I shouldn't have said that? Because you could say something, you could say the right thing, but say it the wrong time. Every married man that's been in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. You say the right thing, but you say it the wrong time. Or you say it the wrong way. Or just not the way that she, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. No, you just don't speak the right way. You know, we all do that. We all do that. Wilford Peterson said, soft words sung in a lullaby will put a babe to sleep. Excited words will stir us mob to violence. Eloquent words will send armies marching to the face of death. Encouraging words will fan the, the flame 
of a, of a genius like Rembrandt or Lincoln. Powerful words will mow the public mind as a sculptor molds his clay. Words spoken or written are a dynamic force. The life and death are in the tongue. Life and death are in, the, in your tongue. What you say matters. People say, well, oh, I can say something nobody ever remembers. Oh, I guarantee you some remember things your mom and dad have said to you 25, 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years ago. Right? You remember what they said to you? Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words. That's a lie from the pit. How many people are walking around bitter right now because of words that were spoken to them in a fit of anger that they remember? I tell you they remember. They come in my office, sit down right, right, right in front of me, and they weep their eyes out because so-and-so said something 12 years ago. They remember just like it was yesterday. That's why we got to be careful what we say, friend. Be careful what you say. Don't always speak the truth. But when you do speak, speak only the truth. Just because you know something doesn't mean you have to say it. Dear friends, I know a lot of things. <laughs> I know sometimes I feel like I know too much. I feel it's going to pour out of me and slip out before I know it. But dear friend, just because I know something doesn't mean I say something. Be careful, what, be careful little mouth what you say. For your father up above is looking down in love. Oh, careful little mouth what you say. Every word, every word you say is written down in a book, the Bible says. Every word. What's well, powerful? That's powerful. Secondly, foreigners in many countries are accepted not, not by the people and are considered intruders or outcasts. You ever been someone you, you felt like a foreigner? You felt awkward because how they dressed, because how they talked, by how they acted. 1 Corinthians 4.13, being defamed, we entreat. We're made as filth of the world and are not the offscouring of all things this day. As you live in this world, you're going to feel stranger and stranger and stranger. People are going to be talking about things, you know, they ought not to be talking about. Man, in today's society, I mean, just, people just, if you, stay, you, hear, you, you don't even have to, you just walk by the TV set and hear things you shouldn't hear. I mean, the trash, the trash is everywhere. And I'm just talking about the streets. It's everywhere. It's hard to avoid. The word offscouring is from the Greek. It means what is wiped off, the scrapings from meal. That is the attitude the world has towards Christians. The word, the offscouring of the world. Christians, Christians, you know, even folks today, you heard it. From one side of the political aisle, oh, we don't want to care. We don't care about your thoughts and prayers. Oh, dear friend, without the thoughts and prayers of people in this country, there would not be the United States of America. Without thoughts and prayers, there's no United States of America. Thoughts and prayers matter. God matters. Don't make, people may not think God matters. People may not think that, that he lives. But without God, we do not exist. We have nothing. Because without, without him, we are nothing. Third, customs and behavior in other countries are different. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8, Flee fornication for every sin that a man doeth without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 2 Timothy, flee awful youthful lust, but follow after righteousness and faith and charity and peace with them that call on the Lord of a pure heart. The custom of this world, what is the custom of this world? To drink, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the customs of this world. Sin, 
as much as you can, as long as you can, and try not to get caught. What's the, the world is, is just, it lives for the day. But we as Christians don't live for today. We live for tomorrow. We live for a different world. Four, giving, getting directions can be very difficult in a foreign country. Ever tried it? Because we can't speak that language. It's hard to know where to go. Bible says in Psalm chapter 30, verse, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. <laughs> in a foreign land, they're not looking for instructions from the good book. They're looking from it from their good conscience. Dear friend, I know that old little cricket said, let your conscience be your guide. But if you let your conscience be your guide, you'll be in trouble. Because your conscience can be shaped by your circumstances or your society. My conscience is my guide. My, is not my guide. The word of God is my guide. My, my conscience can fail me because I get in a moment where I really want to have Krispy Kreme donuts. But I look at that word and say, well, I probably should not. Not more than once a week at least. <laughs> you know, foreigners, citizens of another country. Number five. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, for a conversation is in heaven from whence we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word conversation means citizenship. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, and therefore we're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the, and the household of God. In many countries, they're not allowed to own their own property or vote. We too are citizens of another country. Our home is in heaven. Oh, dear friends, we are pilgrims here. We are pilgrims here. This is not our home. We are looking for something better. As the writer of Hebrews says, we're looking for a better country. I'm looking for a better place, which builder and maker is God. Christopher Columbus, there's a statue of Christopher Columbus in Spain, with a huge lion with the words, Ne plus ultra, underneath it. The lion is eating the first word, Ne. And all that can be read is more beyond. The greatest legacy of Columbus, he proved that there was more beyond. Beloved, there is more beyond for us. There is more beyond. There's more beyond these, these, these seas. There's more beyond this, these, this shore. There's more beyond these lands. There's a place, a heavenly place, where we will be citizens. We are foreigners here. This is not our home. That's why we have to be so careful not to put down so many entrappings on this world that if, God forbid, he, he rips our fingers away from this place, that it does not hurt us so much. Someone wisely said, and I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something to the fact that don't hold on into tight too tight to anything down here that would destroy your relationship with God. Because everything down here, folks, is temporal. Everything, everything you see, everything you hear down here will one day be destroyed. As we looked in the book of Revelation, it's going to be destroyed by fervent heat. It's going to be destroyed, and we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. Don't attach yourself to too securely to things down here, for you may be leaving tonight forever and ever and ever. A wonderful thing 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Well, look through our Lord Jesus Christ. We continue to look at these verses. We see the word scattered. It comes from the word dysphoria. It carries the idea that is that which is sown like, like a farmer sowing seed. The areas of Pontius, Glacia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia refer formerly to independent territories in the northern Asia Minor, now Turkey. Since 130 BC, all of these territories had been under Roman control. The population was a mix of races and cultures, native peoples, cultured Greeks, Orientals, and Jews. At the end of the first century, the total population of these five huge provinces were approximately 8.5 million, one million of those were Jews and 80,000 were Christians. So these were scat Christians who were scattered abroad. We see the scatters, scatter strangers, but secondly, we see the sanctification of the Spirit. The sanctification of the Spirit. And we see here in verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be to you, and peace be multiplied. First, we see this word election. Now we start looking at these words, election, foreknowledge, uh, uh, things of this nature, sanctification. We get, oh man, those are, those are tough words. They don't have to be. Don't, be. don't be scared. Don't be afraid. It's okay. First of all, what is the election? H.H. H. Hobbes says, election is not mechanical. It involves a God who is love and man who is morally responsible. Romans 1.20, for the invisible things of him, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even as eternal power had, power and Godhead, so they without excuse. Romans 2.15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, the conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts, the meanwhile excusing or else excusing one another. See, God, some will say, well, who's responsible for God's salvation? See, election never violates the will of a person. We're not robots. If a person goes to hell... He chooses it by rejecting Jesus Christ and the revealed word of God. Creation is conscience. God is not responsible for man's damnation. Men and women are responsible in the choice they make concerning Christ. We have a choice. Election is twofold. God elected a plan of salvation which he accomplished in Christ. Men can accept or reject his plan. There is a plan of salvation, and that plan is, that salvation is open to every person. Secondly, God also elected a people to make known, make that, uh, that plan known. He elected his plan of salvation. He chose the Jews first, now also to us, the Greeks, to the church. Election involves a plan of salvation and evangelism. In both cases, the free will of man determines the final result. A person can accept or reject Christ. He can reject or accept to serve the Lord. Election has to do with service of God, being a witness to the world. Election is for service, not so much for salvation. D.L. Moody said, the elect are, the, are whosoever wills, and the non-elect are whosoever won't. <laughs> God's invitation to salvation is to the whole world. He used the word whosoever to say that God chooses some to be saved and some to go, ahead, go to hell would contradict a number of patches in the scripture. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, us word, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. 
who will have all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ constraineth, because we thus judge, if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth not live, should li henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. If we had no choice in the matter of our salvation, then saving some folks and rejecting others would make the Lord unjust and unfair. In fact, it would be the essence of contradicting his own word. He would be a respecter of persons, and he is not. James chapter 2, verse 9, If you have respect in the persons, you commit sin, and convicted of the law as transgressors. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of person. The banquet table of God is available for every human being. It's available for every person. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, rich, poor, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. Jesus died to save the children of the world. Amen. He loves us all. How could God say that he loved the entire world if he showed favoritism to a select few? If the Lord saved only those who he chose, then there would be no need for evangelism. And there's, there is those people who believe in no evangelism. Oh, well, what's the point of going out and knocking on doors? Because, dear folks that we know who might want to come to church if we leave something on their door, why go out and tell people about Christ? Well, people, be, those who be saved will be saved. Those who be lost will be lost. Dear friend, I'm so glad somebody told me about Jesus Christ. I'm glad, so glad somebody invited me to church. If I was not invited to church, I would be in hell right now. I'd be in hell right now. Aren't you glad somebody invited you? Aren't you glad somebody encouraged you? God is sovereign in his mercy, and thank God that he is. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, not what works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. For, but God, who's rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we're dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. George Whitfield said, I put my soul as a, as a blank into the hands of Jesus Christ, my Redeemer, and desired him to write upon it what he pleases, and I know it will be his own image. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Seeing then we have an, a great high priest that passed unto the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, lest we hold fast our profession. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, with all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. The mercy... The mercy of God, the grace of God is bestowed to every person who would believe. Secondly, we see not only the election, the foreknowledge. What does foreknowledge know? Well, the word foreknow comes from the Greek word, which means to know before. It helps, it helps, from, uh, it helps form our English word prognosis, which means an act or art of foretelling the course or termination of a disease. Foreknowledge states that God knows everything that will happen before it happens. Before creation, God knew everything in heaven and, and, and earth. Why? Because he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. 
Psalm 139, verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Acts 15, 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. God in his divine power and knowledge can see the future. He knows who's going to respond to his message of salvation. God foresees the faith of everyone who's saved and going to be, who's going to be saved. But nowhere in the Bible, however, does it say or imply that God's who knows all before the hand only because he's foreordained it or caused it. Somebody asked, how can the Lord be sure that he foreknows what will happen, that something will not intervene a man affairs or change the outcome of the future? Answer is God's all-knowing. He, he knows all. Can you, can, you, can you grasp, can you and I grasp the foreknowledge of God? No. From, from God's perspective, he sees it. He understands it. He, he knows who's going to be redeemed. He knows all things. He knows who's going to be saved. You and I do not have that knowledge. That's why we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature. We can't go up to one person and say, do you know you're going to be saved or not? If you're not, I can't talk to you. <laughs> that would be crazy. No, you, dear friend, you spread the seed to everyone. Because 20, 30, 40 years ago, most of this room, some of you weren't born, but 20, 30 years ago, who would know if we if you were to get saved or not saved or, or, or you'd be in church? That's why all of us were here probably after many promptings of the Holy Spirit. But seed was sown in our life. It said that it takes at least seven shares or seven sermons or, or, or seven explanations of the gospel before someone actually received it. I probably heard at least a hundred before I received it. Now, some of you would say, well, you know, he, he can't be saved. Well, I'm sure they would, say that, they would have said that of John Newton, who was a slave trader. Oh, he can't be saved. I'm sure they probably said that of Paul the Apostle, who wrote havoc on the church. But I think Paul was saved. They're probably thinking about that foul-mouthed fisherman by the name of Peter. Oh, surely Peter, who denied Jesus, he can't be saved. Are oh, we reading what he wrote on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit tonight. There's lots of people in the church, maybe some of you, who somebody said, oh, that person can never be saved. That's why, dear friend, we don't go based on the intelligence of what we know. We go by faith in the Word of God and just tell others by faith. Our missionaries that we support, they're going out there not trying to find just the right seed. They're spreading the seed everywhere. They're spreading the seed everywhere. We need to spread the seed everywhere. God's is infinite and knows the future. He has known us with the future. He knows us what the future holds. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 9, Behold, the former things are coming to pass, the new things I declare. Before the spring forth, I'll tell you them. Isaiah 46 verse 9, Remember the 40 things of old, for I am God, and there's none else. I am God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times and things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Oh, in spite of foreknowledge of God and his sovereignty, evil is present, powerful in the affairs of mankind. God, however, is not the author of evil. James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he with any man. That's why people can't say, it's God's fault. God did this. No different. God has never done evil. Can't, won't, shall not. It's never done evil. Evil is because sin entered the world. How did sin enter the world? Adam chose to sin. Adam chose to sin. God and his sovereign rule has given man moral responsibility to be exercised by his free choice 
to do right or to do wrong if he desires. The responsibility of men's actions upon man, not God. God for foreknowledge does not affect man's free will or choice. Men are still able to make choice their own choices, yet God knows what choices he will make. His foreknowledge is not based on his decrees. Men have a choice in coming to Christ and serving him or rejecting him. John chapter 7, verse 17, if man would do his will, he should know of his doctrine, whether it be of God, whether it speak of myself. Thirdly, predestination. The word predestinate applies to the saved people. It means to mark out beforehand for a special purpose of blessing. Those who trust Christ as their Savior are destined for a blessing. God does not predestine people to heaven or hell. This is not taught in the Bible. How could God be merciful and loving towards those whom he predestinated to hell? This would be a contradiction of his character. God does not want anyone to go to hell. That's why Peter made it clear. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us or us word, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Predestination is seen in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also did predestinate, be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So notice there's a reference. There's no reference to heaven and hell in verse 29. The reference is to Christ's likeness. What does Christ want us? He predestinates us to grow in our relationship with God. He wants us to grow closer to him. John chapter 3 and verse 8, He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth in him is, condemned, is not condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Predestination means when God saves you, he's going to see you through. He's going to complete you. He's going to finish what he started. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of everything, that he was begun a work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. To perform it means to put it in, to accomplish, to perfect, to execute, to mature. What is God doing in your life? He's trying to mature you. That's why, that's why sometimes bad things happen in your life. Sometimes bad happens just because of sin. But sometimes problems and sufferings and pain and difficulties and that sore knee and that phone call you get at 2 o'clock in the morning is God maturing you, is God helping you. When I was going through school, I never liked it when the teacher said, here's some homework. I, I didn't say, well, thank you very much, teacher. I, 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 can I give you uh, $100 cash for every piece of paper you give to me? I wish they would do that to my wife. I'd be glad. I'd get a new Harley Davidson tonight. No. I, I, I disliked every bit of it, but you know what the purpose of the homework was? To edify me, to help me grow, even in algebra, even in Spanish, no Espanol. I failed, I struggled. Even Greek, I took Greek, but I think Greek took me. I struggled, I didn't like it, it was hard, but what was it for? It was to help me. And that's what the pains and struggles and difficult life, they're there to mature us, to help us grow. Why? Because we would not do it ourselves. Why to go to college? You paying those jokers, I mean those dear people, thousands upon thousands of thousands of dollars to make you go through pain. Pain. You get up, some of you, early in the morning to go work out. It's pain, it's pain, it's pain. No pain, no 
game. The Christian life, you're going through difficulty. Why, God? Why? So that you would grow. Why? Because you never do it yourself. You never do it yourself. You won't spend that two or three hours on your knees beside your bed if it wasn't for that phone call at 1 o'clock in the morning. You would never do it. You never memorize Scripture. You never meditate on Scripture. You never listen to those songs. It wasn't through the difficulty that God allows, predestinates in your life so that you'd be mature enough, not only for your own self, but when you see someone else going through a trial or difficulty, one of the purposes of that trial is to mature you so that you, in part, can go and help someone else who's struggling. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Spurgeon said that our conformity to Christ is a, is a sacred object of predestination. So predestination then is not salvation, but sanctification. Sanctification is our growing in Christ, our growing. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience to sprinkle in the blood of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, grace be unto you, peace be multiplied. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. All members of the Trinity work to bring about our salvation and all three work to bring apart, to bring forth our sanctification. Sanctification. We have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit indwells us, empowers us to obey the Lord, and live a sanctified life. Peter then mentions the, the, the Christian is chosen for the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What is the sprinkling of the blood? The Old Testament history may provide an answer. Of three occasions in which the sprinkling of blood is mentioned in the Old Testament. First, the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, the leper was healed of a disease. He was sprinkled by the priest with the blood of a bird. Secondly, Peter may be referring to, the, to being referring to being set apart for service of the Lord in this world. Even the priests were dedicated for the service in the temple. They were sprinkled with blood. Finally, it could be the submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel had a covenant relationship with the Lord. Obedience was a requirement. In this covenant relationship, as a token of this relationship of obedience between the people of God, Moses took half the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkled it on the altar, and half the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkled it on the people. Peter said, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice three prepositions in this verse which convey an important truth that leads to the importance of our obedience according to the suggests the fact, the reality of our salvation through, this speaks of the means of our salvation and spiritual growth, and unto expresses the purpose of our salvation. We're to obey the Lord. God puts a premium on obedience because obedience is better than sacrifice. And all this is done through the Holy Spirit. What do we know about the Holy Spirit as we close? We know about the Holy Spirit. Gordon Brownwell, Symbols of the Holy Spirit, tells about a great Norwegian explorer now named Roald Admundsen, the first discovered the magnetic meridian, the North Pole, and to discover the South Pole. One of the ships, Admundsen, took a homing pigeon with him. When he had finally reached the top of the world, he opened the bird cage and set it free. Imagine the delight of Admundsen's wife back in Norway when she looked up from the doorway of her home and saw the pigeon circling in the sky above. No doubt she exclaimed, he's alive. My husband is alive. You see, first of all, the Holy Spirit has been sent to us. He's been sent to us. 
So it was when Jesus ascended, he was gone. But the disciples clung to the promise to send the Holy Spirit to us. Jesus, because he was in, he was in, a, he was in flesh, could not be with, with each believer. He could not be with each believer. He could be with one person here, one person there. But, the, but when he ascended into heaven, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, could be in each believer. And that would be very important because the believers would multiply. The Bible says that in 1 Peter chapter verse, verse 12, unto whom is revealed that not only unto themselves, but, but unto us did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you which the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. John chapter 12, verse 26, with the comfort which the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Dear friend, the blessing of the Holy Spirit is that we will never be alone. I had this thought on the way over here. God the, Jesus, God the Son, Jesus Christ, was alone, totally on the cross. His own Father forsook him because God could not look upon his the Son because the, the Son took upon himself our sin. He was alone. But as long as you breathe air, dear friend, you'll never be alone. Though every person, though everyone in this world forsakes you, you, because the Holy Spirit abides in you, can never be alone. That's a wonderful promise. This world cannot grasp it because they do not have the Holy Spirit inside of them. Secondly, he supplies he supplies strength to suggest for our submission to the truth. John 14, 26, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever send to you. Thirdly, the stimulating power of the resurrecting Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, for Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. He might bring us to God, being put to death, but quickened by the Spirit. The quickened means to be set alive, made alive by the stimulating power of the resurrected Christ. Fourth, letter D, he is our source of joy in times of suffering. John chapter 14, verse 16, I will pray the Father, he will give you another comforter, he will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. Oh, there's times of suffering and sorrow and difficulty that the, the sweetness of the comforter comes and gives you peace that you cannot understand because it's, it's, it's supernatural, because it's from the Holy Spirit. E, he sanctifies us. He sanctifies us. First Peter chapter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctification of the Spirit. That means, sanctification means to be set apart. Consecration, holiness, dedication. It comes from the word, which means to be different. Don't be, to be different, we should be different in our actions. We should be different in our ap ap appetites. Spiritual appetites. A attitudes, attire acclamation our words we should be different we should be different you should dear friends should be different in your christian life than when you first believe can you imagine this dear baby down here 15 years from now still looking like that they say something's wrong dear friend if you are the same that you as you were spiritually 15 years ago something's wrong are you the same 
You should be different. Or you say, preacher, I am different physically. Yes, maybe you're different physically. But different, you should be different spiritually. You should be closer to God now than you were 15 years ago. If not, let me ask you a question, why not? Why not? Are your desires different than they are used to be? Are your wants different? They should be. They should be. I heard a story of a young college student. <laughs> I imagine I can't imagine going down in the dorms of UF and just looking around what you see on the what you see on the walls. <laughs> I'm sure you saw would see some posters of things you maybe could have to look away at. This college student has some pictures of some beautiful young ladies on the wall, and a friend of him, a friend of his, gave him a picture of Christ knocking at the door, and he put that picture of Christ knocking at. The the door, and all of you have seen that, in the middle, middle of the picture of these beautiful ladies. He put it right in the middle. And he got up the next day and said, man, that don't look right. He took her down this picture, and this picture, and this picture, and this picture, and this picture. It just didn't seem right to have those pictures by Jesus Christ. Before long, the only picture was left was Jesus. I hope that's true in your life. That God takes away the things that get in the way of seeing Jesus. As you get closer to him, because dear friend, you are getting closer to him. We are closer now to Jesus Christ than when we first believed. I just hope that's true spiritually. We are closer <laughs> when it comes to the rapture of the church. We're closer today than when we first believed. But I hope you're closer to him spiritually than when you first believed. This world is not your home. You're just a passing through. Your treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Your friend, don't, don't make your treasures down here. The, the thief can come in and steal it. The moths can ruin it. Your wife can take it. I mean, your husband can take it and sell it on eBay before you even know it. Or move it and you can't find it and you think you can't find it, then you go buy it again. How many of you have done that? <laughs> oh dear, make, don't make your treasure here. Make your treasure up there. Because when you have treasure up there, it can't be taken from you. It, doesn't, it won't need batteries. It won't need to be recharged. It will be perfect and everlasting. So thankful for the treasures we have through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you, God, for all you've done. I pray you bless tonight. Help us, Lord Jesus, to see only you. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your compassion, your care. Thank us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. Head bowed, eyes closed.